From St. Luke's Gospel, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Good morning, friends. I have to tell you, I can't hear that hymn and not always remember a period back when I was the rector of Trinity Church in Red Bank, New Jersey, and I had preached a sermon where I mentioned my daughter Grace in the sermon, and on the way out, we sang that hymn, and Grace leaned over to my, my wife, Kathy, and said, I can't believe Daddy. First, he mentions me in his sermon, and then he writes songs about me. So we've always named her Amazing Grace. It's a great story. Uh, have you ever, here's a question, have you ever been to, anybody here ever been to New York City? You know where that is, right? Outside of Rockefeller Center, there is a statue, which I love. It is a statue of the Greek titan atlas he's a demigod or something i guess and it's a it's a, an image uh, i guess a, a metal brass image of titan and he's standing there kind of crouched down like this with his arms back and on his shoulders is the world you ever seen it and i love that image because atlas is in a very real sense bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders. I've always loved that statue because uh, it resonates with me. Uh, many times in my life, I have felt like I, like, I've felt like Atlas, 175 pound, 5 foot 10 Atlas, but an Atlas where the weight of the world was on my shoulders. You know, just, you ever been there? You know, of course you have. You ever been to the point where there's just so much weight on you that you just can't take anymore, right? One more thing, one more item on your plate, and you're going down. You're going to collapse. You're going to fold. It's a terrible place, a terrible place to be. And our gospel story this morning about this woman who was bent over is about this very idea. It's a way more profound story than you probably think about this idea of having burdens, the crippling, literally, literally, crippling effect of burdens, and how Jesus Christ, the true Atlas, saves us. So two, two points today. What is, in fact, the real source of the burdens that you carry, and me, we're all in this together. <laughs> What's the true source of the burdens you carry? Point one. And secondly, what is this solution that Jesus offers? So first thing, first thing, this is, a, this is a whopper. What is the true source of the burdens that we carry? You know, most people, and I'll confess to you, before I studied this text this week, I've never preached this text before, and I've never really studied it in detail before this past week. But most people, when they read the story about the woman who was bent over for 18 years, they read it as like, I don't know, like an ordinary healing miracle. Not that any healing miracle is ordinary, right? They're all suspensions of natural law. They're, for, by definition, unordinary. But it sounds on a surface reading to be kind of like every other healing miracle in the story. Here's a woman who is, <coughs> she's afflicted, and along comes nice guy Jesus in his flowy white dress and his ruby red cheeks, and alakazam shazah, bam, and he heals her. Thanks, Jesus, I'm going to go get a pizza. Is that how you read it? No? Let me, under, let me just challenge you this morning. Never underestimate the, the Word of God. 
Because this little story, excuse me, <coughs> pardon me, this little story is extremely profound. Luke says in verse 11, And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. He tells us, if you look closely, the real source of her burden. Behold, one, one thing, that word behold there is a really, really important Greek word. I have never in my life started a sentence with the word behold, all right? Behold, I'd like a uh, white, white IPA at Walking Tree. I've never done that. And in, in English, the word behold is archaic, and a lot of translations just omit it. But the Greek is a word, eduo, and it's very important. It's a word which means, I'll paraphrase a little bit, it means pay attention because something big is about to happen. So whenever you're reading the translation of the, of the scripture, which translates a duo, <clears throat> pay attention. And Luke says, behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Look at that again. This woman, her burdens, friend, friend, her burden, her burden is not physical. It is spiritual. And specifically, caused by an evil spirit. Now, remember, Luke, who is the author of this gospel, is a doctor, and a highly trained doctor, who I could use right now. <coughs> what happens to me? Anyway, Luke is a doctor, and he knows, he knows physical conditions. He knows when somebody's sick what's going on. Luke is not, you know, some overactive imagination guest host on the Dr. Phil show, right? Luke knows what he's doing, and he says this woman's condition is the result of an evil spirit. Now, let me qualify something here. There are different levels, if you will, of demonic influence on the human condition. When we hear of the demonic, we think of possession, like the exorcist. Or even in Scripture, there's examples of this. There's examples of the Gerasene demoniac, right, where, who lives by the tombs, and he's chained, and he breaks his chains, and Jesus exercises him. That's what we think of when we think of demonic influence on the human condition. Possession, right? Where the demon takes over your body. It's true. It's rare. When I was in seminary, my... Uh, my mentor was a guy named uh, Dr. Uh, Father uh, Don Gross. Father Gross was a doctor, too. He was a, a psychotherapist, a, a psychiatrist. He was also my, my spiritual director. When you go to seminary, <clears throat> the bishop takes you as a young guy coming in and puts you in touch with a priest who'd be good for you, right? Well, so Father Gross was a psychiatrist. He was my spiritual director. We got together, and I, we talk about psychological things and spiritual things, and he would counsel me on how to move forward. And then over the course of maybe a month or two of meeting with him, he told me that he was in fact the diocesan exorcist. And he, he was very, uh, <laughs> he was a source of continual humor for him. He'd say, you know, Rodriguez, I'm not sure what you did in your former life, but the bishop said to me that I was your man. So just remember that you got the big guns of the diocese, right? I got the exorcist of all people to be my spiritual director. But he was a fascinating guy because he was a psych 
uh, psychiatrist. He knew psych psychological stuff, but he was a very deeply religious and spiritual man. And he wrote a book about this, and he said, look, he said, possession, right, full-on possession is extremely rare. He said, but, he said, but, you know, if you think about it, all suffering, all suffering, all suffering is at its root demonic. Now, I'm not, I'm not, if you know me, I'm not the kind of guy who sees a demon behind every corner and is spooked by, you know, those creepy uh, witch things they have at Home Depot when you walk in, they go, <laughs> right? I'm not, I don't, I'm not easily rattled by this kind of thing, but I do want you to consider this, that evil is real, according to Jesus, anyway. And Scripture says we live in a fallen world, right? Where people get sick, where families fall apart, where suffering takes place, because we live in a fallen and broken world. Evil is real. All suffering, yours and mine, all of it, is the result of evil and spiritual wickedness. I'll give you two, two Scriptures Paul says in Romans 8, 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Or, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, here is the zinger. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but rather against rulers and authorities, listen to this, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. So my point being here, true suffering, friends, your burdens and mine, the weight you carry, the burdens you bear, the worries that control you, the things you fear, the real source is not physical or social. It's spiritual. It's evil. Father Gross told me this, and he said to me, I'm not telling you this to be afraid. You have nothing to fear as a Christian. He said, but I, you need to know your enemy. Know your enemy. You know, tomorrow, tomorrow we launch our new preschool. Woo! Trinity Episcopal Preschool. 22 kids, ages 2, 3, and 4. I have had this on my heart since I was made rector here seven years ago. And just yesterday, I was sitting in my office, uh, finishing up my sermon, looking out the window at the playground, noticing the calm, still, and quiet of my office and the playground. And I thought to myself, dude, what in the world are you thinking, man? <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not going to give you details, and don't ask me because I won't tell you. But me and others on my staff have been under spiritual attack for the past four months. I have been spiritually attacked, and those that I love and those that work with me have been spiritually attacked unlike no other time in my life. And I'm not a wild-eyed conspiracy guy. I'm a left-brained skeptic, frankly. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you as your priest, there is absolutely no way that these spiritual attacks are not coordinated and intentional. I've been through it before, man. I've been through this before many, many times. My wife and I know to expect it. You know why? Because I know my enemy. My enemy knows me. I also know that my burdens are demonic. They are not something that God wants me to wrestle with. Not because I've done something wrong, but probably because I'm actually doing something right. 
I want you to consider this, that the devil, the devil doesn't care a whit about non-believers. They're no threat to him. He's already got them. But he does care about you. Look at the woman in this story. Back to the text a minute. If you notice, you look closely, she's in the synagogue. She's a believer. The devil wants to attack you as a believer. He wants to knock you over as a believer. He wants to keep you off your game. He wants to stop you cold. The devil wants to breed in you and in me doubt and shame and regret and fear and worry. So here's a question. What burdens you right now? Y'all got something, so do I. What worry and shame and doubt and fear owns you? It's just let's name it and name it and claim it, as the Baptist would say. Rick reminded me this morning. Name it and claim it, name it. Know your enemy. It is demonic, it is not godly. Luke tells us that this woman who bears this spirit is bent over and burdened. Now, this is where it gets very interesting. The Greek word for bent over is the word sukipto. And it describes a spiritual condition. It's not just a physical one. Think of it like this. Think of it like this. When you are bent over, right? I'm just going to do it. When you're bent over, when you're crouched down, when you're bent over, you're consumed by the immediate. You cannot plan. You can't even move forward. In fact, you can't do anything but focus on what's right there. All of your attention when you worry and doubt and, and, and consider the burdens you have, they go on the immediacy of your problems. You're controlled by them. You cannot plan. You cannot see your way forward. Your focus when you are burdened is downward. You're tentative. You're doubtful. You're scared. I'll never forget when I took my girls skiing in the Poconos, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. Um, anybody here ski? No skiing in Florida, sorry. You got to go up north for that. But if you go skiing or you go running, I used to be a jogger, or you do a lot, you drive a car. Any of these things, when you do them, when you're skiing, for example, when you ski, you don't look down. You look down, you're going to fall. Muggs Hollyfield said this morning, you go where you look, Right? If you look down, you're going down. If you're driving, you don't look at the road in front of you, you look at the road ahead. If you're jogging, you don't jog looking this way, you jog looking that way. It's my point. What you need to do as a Christian and as a Jesus follower is this. Keep your head up, friends, and your eyes forward. Not to be bent down, but to stand up. As a skier, your inclination is to look down. As you, when you are burdened, your inclination is to look down. But the key to victory is to keep your head up and your eyes forward. I'll give you an example. It's obvious when I point it out. Scripture is always obvious when you point it out. Where, where, what are the burdens in your life right now? And they probably, they do, fall into one of three categories. Money, relationships, or health. What burdens you right now? What do you worry about? What keeps you up at night? For example, when your daughter who just went to college calls you at 1 o'clock in the morning and you're up in all night, for just example. <laughs> the devil wants nothing more. Listen, the devil wants nothing more than to keep your eyes down, focused on the problem, to keep you from hope, to keep you stuck. Because, point one, friends, the real source of your burdens 
is spiritual evil. Know your enemy. And the second point then is, well, what's the answer? All right, Rodriguez, I get it. What, now what? Well, not surprisingly, point number two, this woman was a believer, right? Again, the devil doesn't spend a whole lot of time with non-believers. doesn't have to. But this woman was a believer, and Luke tells us that she was in the synagogue. That's how we know. And verse 12, if you look at it again, Jesus, when he saw her, listen, listen, listen. When he saw her, he called her. Now, he doesn't have to do that. He could have just zapped her. He could have healed her from a distance. He's done it before. But he calls her. This is absolutely critical because that's how he works. He calls her, and he calls you. The woman, does, you know, the woman, if he's calling her, the woman doesn't have to go. Think about it like this. The woman doesn't have to go to Jesus, and neither do you, and neither do I. I mean, what if, what if, she, had, what if she had declined? What if she had said something like this? Hey, say her name's Mary. Mary, come here. Really? Are you kidding? I've been like this for 18 years. Come on, Jesus, are you sure about that? You can't help me. Nobody can help me. I'm a victim. I'm bent. 18 years is a long time to learn to be helpless. And that's precisely where Satan wants her and you. Stuck. Bent over. And frankly, most people stay there. Most people choose stuckness. Most people do. But this woman... She goes. Maybe he can help me. She figures, what have I got to lose? I don't know. We don't actually know what went through her mind. But notice something beautiful and terrifying at the same time. She comes to Jesus and he says to her, not you are healed, you're freed. Man, that's a big difference. You are freed because she trusted Jesus. He frees her from her burdens because she stood, because she went to him. He will call you, and you will make excuses for why you don't want to go. I know I do. It's not until she responds to him that he declares her free. And the interesting thing is, the text says that she stood up. Now, the Greek word there, this is very important. The Greek word there is the word anurthu, anuth, look at it again, anurthu. And it doesn't just mean, oh, look, I'm healed. It means, no, 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 it's much more profound than that. It means to be, to be built up, to be restored, to be rebuilt. See, in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish mind, to lift up your head is a posture of worship. To lift up your head is a posture of trusting in God. To lift up your head, to stand up and look is a posture of waiting for God to come, of getting yourself out of the weeds and focusing on the big picture. There's lots of examples. I'll give you just one. Psalm 121, one of my favorites. I will lift up my, listen to the imagery. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where is my help to come? My help cometh from the Lord who has made heaven and earth. In our liturgy, I will say to you before the Eucharist, before Christ comes, I will say, the Lord be with you. And you say, and also with you. And I say, lift up your hearts. The idea is that we are called to stand up strong, waiting for Christ to be there. Friends, to be joyful, to be fearless, to be ready. So here's the question for you today. 
Do you want to be free from your burdens? Do you want to be free from your burdens? That woman could have declined. Most people choose stuckness. Do you want to be free? Because, you see, to be free means to see the big picture. To be free means to be joyful and fearless. To be free means to have your hope and your, fo- your entire being focused on what God is doing in the midst of your life, even when you have burdens. And the reason is simple. Because help has arrived, you see. Help has arrived, and his name is Jesus. And on that cross, Jesus Christ was lifted up. And on that cross, Jesus Christ, the real Atlas, bears the real burdens of this world on his real shoulders. As he was lifted up on that cross, he bore the sins and the burdens that you carry upon his own blessed shoulders. He carried them on his body so that you can be free. Psalm 55 verse 2 says, Father, teach us to cast our burdens upon you and he will sustain you. Friends, cast your burdens on Jesus and he will free you. Father, help us to see evil as the true cause of our burdens. Help us to see the enemy operating against us. Help us to call it and have the courage to respond to Jesus' call on our lives and his offer of freedom. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.